Hey everybody, this is Kendall from Recording Lounge. Welcome to our third and final installment of Top 10 Studio Essentials. This episode, we're talking about Studio Essentials, $1,000 or less. And this is sort of getting into the almost high-end, kind of high-end, you know, spectrum. Um, so I hope you've enjoyed the series so far. I hope it's given you some cool things to think about. There are certainly things that I've left out, uh, things that didn't make the list or almost made the list. Tried to include a couple of them here and there, uh, but this certainly isn't the end-all, be-all. Again, these are some of my preferences. You might try them, you might love them, or you might not like them at all. Uh, but these are things that I have personal experience with that I like. Most of them are, at least. And uh, so I hope that uh, you enjoy this, uh, and um, on to the show. All right, are you ready for the top 10 studio essentials for $1,000 or less? Um, there's uh, there, This was a really tricky one. Um, there's probably a lot more that I could have added. Uh, I just could not decide for the life of me. I just tried to pick something that, uh, you know, um, that eventually said, you know what, I couldn't live without it in my world. So this might, again, this might not be the same for you, but for me, these are things that I could not live without. So... Number 10 is a high-quality monitoring controller. Now, these range in price from $100 to $10,000. So you got to hunt around, but if you can find a dangerous monitor ST used, or uh, there's the SPL monitor controller, or the dangerous music source, there's a lot of great ones out there. I do really like Dangerous as a company. They're just really, really nice stuff. Um, but having a good monitor controller with lots of options, you know, for switching is really useful for me. I mean, I use mine all day long. Um, it's easy for clients to learn. So if they want to sit where you sit and, you know, adjust the volume or, you know, dim the playback or use the talk back or switch speakers or whatever, I mean, it, it, it's easy for them to do. You don't have to do any keyboard shortcuts or have them mess up anything. It's all right there. You can mute stuff, you can dim stuff, you can, you know, it, it's so, so simple. And I mean, I cannot imagine my job without one. Um, like I said, I use the Monitor ST, which I think is just over $1,000. Maybe it's gone up. It might be $1,500, um, but I'm sure you could find one used. Uh, it, it's just, it, it's kind of a life-changing experience to use a high-quality monitoring controller. Um, so I just highly recommend... Push, putting that in your budget to, to get one, it really can change your workflow for the better. All right, number nine is either the Avalon U5 or the A-Designs Red DI, also called the Ready. So these are both high-quality direct boxes. Now, they're a little more than just a direct box because typically a direct box will convert a signal into mic level. So it'll convert, you know, an instrument level into mic level, which then needs to be run into a mic pre. Whereas the Avalon U5 and pretty much the A-Designs, the Avalon is a little hotter. These can both output a decently hot signal without really needing to go to a preamp. Now the A-Designs is not that loud, but the Avalon is... I mean, it can output line level. It can output a lot. So the Avalon is actually two products in one. It is essentially a DI followed by a mic pre. Now, you can't use it as a mic pre, but um, it, it you don't have to waste, you know, one of your mic pre's by running into one after a DI. And you don't have to use extra cables. You don't have to patch anything in. The Avalon U5 is 
arguably the industry standard for, you know, just go-to clean DI. It's got some awesome EQ switches on there, which originally I thought was kind of gimmicky, but after hearing them, I'm like, wow, these actually sound really good on bass or acoustic guitar. Um, it's got high pass. It's got, you know, you can turn off the tone switches, the, you know, you can turn those off if you don't want to use them. Um, it's just an amazing box. And I think they're selling for about 700 new, but you can find them all the time on eBay for 500 or 600 bucks. And you can get them in the rack unit if you want. You can get them, you know, with rack ears, um, or you can get them as a standalone box. They're just amazing DIs, and they will change the way that you view DI. I mean, if, you, if you've always hated DIs before, or you've always felt like DI sounds like crap, you've never heard an Avalon U5, or you've never really heard, you know, the A-Design's Red DI, or you've never really heard, you know, that perfect DI for you. And there's so many out there. And again, don't feel intimidated by the price tag. You're saying, why would I spend, you know, $600 on a DI? Well... If you've heard an Avalon U5 in action on the right bass with the right player, you don't really need much more than that. You know, compress it a little and it can be done. It can really sound that good. So um, I definitely recommend investing in a high-quality, active a DI with line-level output. Another one that I've heard some good reviews for but never tried personally is the Focusrite. The, I believe it's called the isa1 maybe i think that's it and it's got a di on it and i believe it's about 500 dollars um but i haven't heard that personally i have had a lot of experience with the u5 and it's just amazing um and if you're willing to go just a touch over a thousand dollars bae has a really cool one uh called the dmp which stands for desktop mic pre they're 1,150 new, but I'm sure you can find them used. And it's actually a full-fledged mic pre and DI. So you're definitely getting, you know, quite a bit of bang for your buck there because you're getting an amazing mic preamp that you can use with microphones, um, but also a really killer DI. And a cool thing about that one is it actually has two throughputs on the DI. So you could go to two amps. Um, which is really neat. Uh, it's something I wish more DIs did. Um, and again, you can use that one with microphones. So that one's kind of a little more than just a DI. But the Avalon, I can highly recommend. The A Designs, I can highly recommend. Um, and the BAE, I can definitely recommend for sure. Uh, they're all, you know, upwards somewhere between $500 and $1,000, except the BAE, probably the BAE used. Um, again, just get really considerate. And now we will move on to number eight. So at number eight, I put the Chameleon Lab 7602 mic pre and EQ. I used to have a pair of these and I sold them and I actually really regret it. Um, these are about 700 bucks and they are basically like a mic pre and EQ channel strip type deal. And, you know... I have heard a lot of different preamps from all kinds of different budgets and I miss having these. I really do. And I have, you know, API pre's and BAE pre's and, and I thought these sounded really good. Another cool thing is if you buy them from Zen Pro Audio, you can get them modded and I believe Chameleon Labs is actually modding them themselves now. Like I think they call it the X mod and I think it's a thousand dollars. I'm not sure. Um, but you can find them used. I mean, I, I have very I have heard very few channel strips that have a pre and an EQ 
for under a thousand dollars that um that actually are like really nice um you know they have some cheap ones out there but this one i mean um it may be my favorite preamp under a thousand dollars and i mean that includes even you know i mean it's got eq and if you're looking to get into the world of analog eq um, to, to really start messing with it and see the benefits that it can have to your sound and how it can really add just the tiny little bit of push that can save you that time. I mean, it might take you 30 seconds to do in, you know, analog, something that, you know, might have taken you 10, 15 minutes to do with a plug-in and get the same type sound. And, and it sounds better on the way in. The performer can hear it sounding closer to what they imagine on the way in. And even if it's just a touch of EQ, you know, even if it's a high-pass filter and just adding a little bit of high-end or a little bit of low-end or whatever, just a little bit, um, it, it can really, really be a dramatic, dramatic thing in terms of, you know, time-saving and just, it just sounds great. I've heard, you know, I used to, like I said, I used to own a pair. I used to use them on all kinds of stuff. Sounded awesome on bass. Sounded great on toms. Sounded great on snare. Sounded great on kick. I uh, don't know if I ever used them on overheads. And I don't know if I ever used it on acoustic. But uh, I used them on vocals. I used them on backing vocals. I used them on, you know, electric guitars. I've used them on all kinds of different things. And they just sound awesome. So... The Chameleon Labs 7602, I believe it's the Mark II now. They might be on Mark III, I'm not sure. But that clock's in at number eight. Really consider getting one. Really sleek units, well-made, really cool stuff. Number seven is a good weighted MIDI controller. Now, the reason this is on here is because I find that to get one that's weighted, um, you know, you generally will have to spend... 500 to a thousand dollars sometimes a little more depending on how many keys you want but i really find that um the more i do what i do the samples are getting so good and budgets are getting smaller uh it's and and it's hard to find an, a grand piano that is number one easy to rent out for cheap two stays in tune without having to you know pay a, a, a tuner to come give it a quick tune up and c is um you know is the right sound because sometimes you don't really know what the right sound is until you hear it in context and if you don't have a large room with a piano then you can't really tell or if you're in home and you have a piano or if you have access to one you know maybe it's not the right piano sound for that song and you're sitting there thinking well you know would I rather have a plug-in that sounds right or the real thing that sounds wrong I mean, even if the real thing sounds more, quote, real, but it's just wrong for the feel of the track. I mean, that's a really hard argument to make. And the longer I do this, the more I find that in a track with a band, you can almost never tell that it's a sampled piano if you have a high quality sample. There's so many out there these days. I like a lot of them out there. I like the ivory stuff. I love the Imperfect Samples, um, which is the name of the company, if you haven't heard of them. Um, their, their files are huge. I mean, their samples are enormous, and it's beautiful. I mean, they are so... It's kind of ironic that they're called Imperfect Samples because they have so many samples included with their sounds. I think they actually have the most, the highest sampled 
piano in the world. It's like 70,000 samples taken of this one piano sound. Um, something just insane. And it is pricey. I mean, you'll pay anywhere from 100 to $500 for one piano. But you get mic perspectives and you get, I mean, just all kinds of stuff. It's kind of stripped down and it does work best if you have contact five um not contact player but the full contact five um and still uh, i love that i love the native instrument stuff just in general i mean i love there's a lot of great ones out there um imperial grand that one's great from i don't remember who makes that um but yeah there's so many out there and i mean it's just come down to if if you have a really good midi controller and you have a really good uh, sample that you're working with in the right sample, and you have the ability to make the latency low enough with your interface, you know, generally speaking, how I tend to do it is um, by decreasing my buffer size to, you know, 128, 64, something like that, where the latency is really low. I mean, we're talking two milliseconds or something, two or three milliseconds. They, Nobody could tell. Nobody could tell, you know, if... They couldn't even point that out. Um, so you have to decrease your buffer to make the latency as low as possible. And if the MIDI controller feels good and the sound is good, then the player will generally feel really comfortable with it. Because sometimes, you know, you get players that are like, oh, you know, I, I don't really never had good luck with samples or whatever. I just much rather use a real piano. And if they have the budget for it and you have the ability to use a real piano, then it might be the way to go. But Again, is it the right piano for the job? You know, piano's not an easy instrument to record. It's, it, it can be a very daunting and difficult instrument to record sometimes, depending on, you know, the sound you're after. So sometimes the sample is just the way to go. And I, I sometimes I, I never I would have pictured myself saying that, but, you know, it's worth it to spend, you know, five or $600, $700 on a good controller and a couple hundred dollars on, you know, ivory from Synthogy. Um, just to have some pianos available. If you don't use a lot of grand pianos, you know, and you use you more like, uh, like electric keys, you know, Native Instruments sells all kinds of stuff. There's a million samplers out there. I mean, and some of them are 100 bucks, some of them are 50 bucks, some of them are 600 bucks. So you'll have to search for them. But it really pays off in the end. If, if you're a synth player, you don't necessarily need weighted, but um, most players of keys, you know, Rhodes... Grand piano, upright piano, they all prefer weighted keys. And if you're a keys player, you know what I'm talking about. There's just something you can't replace. And you really need to get one that feels right. If it feels right, then you're going to play better and it's going to sound better in the end. So good luck with that. Number six is the Warm Audio 1176. I actually was able to hear one of these for the first time here pretty recently um, in the last week or two. And, you know, it doesn't have the same quite vibe as a real 1176 has. It's not nearly as squishy or vibey, um, but it does control the level and it is fast. Um, it, so, you know, it doesn't add necessarily a ton of like mojo like the original Yuri will. But, I mean, for 600 bucks, there's almost no better compressor at that price um, really around. I mean, it, it, it's fast. It's great for tracking, amazing for vocals, amazing for bass. I mean, it's pretty impressive what they've done for this budget. 
Most 1176 clones that you see are going to be more like $1,100, $1,200. And then you can buy the reissue for $2,000. And some other brands, you know, like the Purple and the Slate and, you know, some of those for somewhere in between there. Um, You know, my personal favorite clone is the Mohawk uh, 1176, the Mofet 76 that they call it. Um, I'm still kind of searching around for the perfect one for me I, I might even go with a warm um I, I'm not really sure yet but like I said I just heard one of these recently and if again it's one of those if you're looking to get into analog compression it might be a great place for you to start um might be a little bit too aggressive if you're you know more of an acoustic player or you know you play strings or you know but if you're using it for snare or for electric guitar or for bass or for vocals it's awesome um if I had to pick a different compressor if you're looking for something a little smoother as sort of an intro to compression, I would go with the FMR RNC. Now, the RNC is actually a stereo compressor, but the way that it works, I always find it's just... Because it's a, it's a single set of controls for left and right. So me personally, I always... I bought two of them at one point and used them each as a mono compressor because it was just easier for me because if I wanted to set the left and right differently or if I wanted to set, you know, one for guitar and one for bass, you know, it, your two channels are worthless. You you just, you know, you'd have to just get two of them. Um, and those are only like 200 bucks. I mean, those are real cheap. But the FMR RNC or the, um, the Warm Audio 1176 is really, really cool. Uh, that clocks in at number six. Number five for me is going to have to be the Neumann KM184. And uh, a lot of people have kind of, you know, dissed this mic for a little while. They're like, oh, it doesn't sound like the original KM84. You know, I don't care. I love the KM184. I think it sounds awesome. Um, it's it's kind of a mid-forward mic, um, but it, it sounds so good on so many things. It sounds great on cymbals. It sounds great on overheads. It sounds great on strings. It sounds great on acoustic guitar it sounds great on upright it sound, i mean it's about 800 bucks i think 850 maybe um and it's just an awesome small diaphragm mic it's incredibly hot you can get a lot of level out of things that are quiet it's got incredibly low noise and it can take a lot of level i mean i use it on drum overheads often and i've been using them on drum overheads for a, for a while and i've never had any problems with them they're the oddest thing about them is that they weigh like nothing. I mean, they are featherweight microphones. Um, they're transformerless. Um, they're solid state. And they're just really, really amazing microphones. And if you're looking to get into the um, sort of like, you know, what's a good uh, under $1,000 small diaphragm condenser, that would probably be my pick. Um, there's quite a few out there. I think there's, you know probably 10 or 15 others I could name, but that's the one that comes to mind that I use a lot and I love, and I've had it for a long time with no problems and um, will probably keep using it for many, many, many years. Number four, this was a toss-up between two, the Biodynamic M160 or the Royer R101. Now, both of these are sort of new classics. The Bayer is actually a, a real classic, but the Royer is sort of a new classic. The 101 uh, is 
sort of their budget model of the 121, but that doesn't mean it is a, you know, a crappier version of it. You know, it sounds great. Uh, and the Bayer M160 sounds great also. That's a classic. Um, now, if you're looking for more of a darker sort of like ribbon sound, you might go with the 101. If you're looking for more of sort of just a really killer sound that doesn't, it sounds somewhere between a condenser and a ribbon, you might try the Bayer. The Bayer is brighter than you might expect, and it's really tight. Um, it's, it's not like tubby or fat or anything. I mean, it sounds, you know, full, but it doesn't kind of get fat like some ribbons can. It sounds amazing as a drum overhead. It sounds amazing on guitars. It's hypercardioid, which is really interesting for a ribbon. Um, and the head basket can be a little fragile, whereas the Royer is, you know, pretty durable. Um, but man... Both of these microphones are two of my favorite ribbons out there. Obviously, I love the 121, but the 101 sounds awesome, too. Um, they're just amazing microphones. I mean, if you uh, if you haven't really got into the world of... Sort of cause, and that's the cool thing about ribbon mics is that um, even like some of the nicest ribbon mics on the planet are like $4,000, which sounds like a lot, but if you compare it to some of the nicest condenser mics on the planet those might be like twenty thousand dollars or like fifteen thousand dollars so when we're talking like high-end ribbon mics that's you know half the price of the same tier of condenser mics so you know a royer 121 is like a, a new studio standard brand new for 1300 you can find them used for under a thousand for sure so if you can do that i highly recommend it but you know if in that same tier of microphones, generally speaking, you'll have like, oh, well, you know, that's like a, an awesome ribbon. Whereas a thousand dollar condenser, it's like, oh, you know, it's awesome, but it's not as good as, you know, this one or whatever, you know, the $1,500 mic tech or whatever. But anyway, point being, these are both amazing ribbon mics for under a thousand bucks. You can find them everywhere. I mean, if you, again, I'll say it again. If you're not into the ribbon game yet, you really should be. So, number three has become a new favorite of mine, and it costs $750, and I cannot explain how often I've been using this microphone. It is made by Michael Jolly, and it is the MJE K47H with the Octava MK012 body. Not necessarily the catchiest name in the world, but uh, basically what it is is a microphone system. It has a small diaphragm body that you can screw on a small diaphragm capsule um, or a large diaphragm capsule. So you kind of get two microphones in one, and uh, the small diaphragm, in it, the body is an octava, but it's heavily modded with the Michael Jolly Electronics, and the capsule is actually his own design. And I swear to you, I have had so many compliments I have a lot of microphones in the studio and, um, you know, not like hundreds, but I have quite a few microphones for singers to audition. And sure, I, I try to find the one that I think sounds best on their voice, but I also want to hear from them and hear which one they feel like sounds good to them. Like which one sounds like them to them, to themselves, you know, in the headphones, do the, which one really sticks out to them? Do, do any of them stick out? Do, do any of them just say like, wow, that, that sounds like me. Um, and I've been using this Michael Jolly for the past, 
you know, six months or so. And I have gotten so many comments when singers hear it in their headphones, they just say like, wow, this mic sounds awesome. And it's usually the cheapest or second cheapest in the bunch. Um, and I've been using it on room mic. I've been using it on overheads. I've been using it on guitars. I've been using it on vocals. I've been using it on strings. I've been using it on almost everything. Um, and it's so, it's so different from your average microphone in this price range. It's very warm. It's not a bright mic. Uh, it rolls off that top end in such a smooth way. It's not dark. We're not talking about a dull microphone. Um, but it's like the perfect amount of smooth and it doesn't have a huge, huge low end where it gets all tubby. Um, you know, the only bad thing about it, I would say bad thing, it, it's, it's a, it's a two edged sword here because, First of all, one of the modifications that he does to a lot of his microphones is he removes the multi-layer head basket. Uh, his theory is that multi-layer head baskets um, are, are essentially too thick. It's too much wire mesh, and it actually creates little resonances, like a little tiny room inside of, you know, where, or that surrounds the mic capsule um, at, at, at these high, high frequencies. Um, if you have thought about acoustics before, like room acoustics, you know that, you know, if you have a room that's 10 by 15 or whatever, you're going to get some low end problems, low end and low mids. Well, imagine a room. So imagine, you know, low frequencies have longer wavelengths. So if you have a bigger room, your problems will generally be lower. Um, ideally the room is big enough where they're sort of low out of range, um, or, you know, etc. If you have a small, small room, like, uh, you know, uh, 10 by 10 or, you know, with really low ceilings, eight foot ceilings, you can have problems in like really noticeable and important areas like 70 Hertz, 80 Hertz, hundred Hertz, 150 Hertz, 200 Hertz, like up in these regions. Well, imagine a room that is an inch and a half by two inches. Where do you think the frequency problems are going to be? Well, the upper mids, you know, 1K, 2K, 3K, 4K, 5K, 6K, etc. Stuff like that. So that's Michael Jolly's theory. So all that is, you know, I say all of that to say he uses a one layer, very thin, somewhat fragile head basket with his microphones. So only reason I say that's a negative thing. It does give the microphone a very beautiful open quality. The bad thing is you got to be really careful with pops and plosives um, with singers, especially because some singers, you know, they just naturally control their plosives really well. Other singers, they really pop their P's. And so I've had to use two pop filters on singers before in front of that mic, which again is not you know, the worst thing in the world, but using two pop filters can kind of, it kind of gets in the way. It's a little distracting. And it, when you start having those, you know, two layers of that foam stuff, or of, uh, if you're using the Stedman, the metal, it can kind of start to dole up the vocal a little too much because you're absorbing as you're going into the microphone. Now you can place the microphone above and, you know, an angle it sort of downwards. So they're singing sort of like across it. Like if the microphone's up at like maybe nose height and angling downward and they're singing, you know, not like 90 degrees down, but maybe like angling at the mouth about nose height and they're singing straight, then that can help a lot. But sometimes you still need a little bit of help from a pop filter. So that's the only struggle I've had with it um, is that, 
it, it can be pretty sensitive. Now, it's sensitive in the right ways. Um, I mean, it's doing exactly what the design is supposed to do. But um, again, sometimes that can cause some problems with singers that really pop their peas. Uh, but other than that, for 750 getting a small diaphragm mic, a large diaphragm mic, that to me sound incredible. I mean, there is just no better deal out there than that right now. Um, I mean, I want to get four more of them. I mean, I love them. I mean, I only have one right now, and I wish I had four. I just... I, I love them. I would use them on overheads and room mics, and, I mean, they're just such an awesome microphone. The only other weird thing with these is that they, the clip that comes with them is really goofy. It's like this little tiny clip that clips around the body, and I don't like it at all. On eBay, um, you can get these, like, little Audio-Technica-looking uh, shock mounts, uh, I'm not talking about like the Audio-Technica, like um, the ones for the large diaphragm mics, but they're like these little butterfly clips. They're little shock mounts, and you can get them from the OEM from China for like 20 bucks, and they work perfectly for this microphone. I think you have to flip the mount, um, but uh, they work really great for this mic, and um, I, I have those. Every time I use it, I use that little shock mount. I bought I bought three or four of them to use with my small diaphragm mics. They're really really great. So that's the Michael Jolly MJE K47H capsule with the MK012 body. <laughs> uh, if you look on his website and go to buy new mics and you go down to large diaphragm condensers FET, you can see it. It's 750. Um, you might want to get a Pelican case to go with it because it ships in sort of like a cardboard box. Um, again, another way to save you money, but if you're wanting something, you know, more durable that you can travel with or, you know, go to, go on location with or, or just, you know, keep it closed and clicked and locked and more a little more stable, I highly recommend getting a Pelican case to, you know, you can take out the foam and make the shape that you need. So, yeah, check out that microphone. It's amazing. All right, number two has got to be the API 512 mic preamp. Now, you might be saying, oh no, but I'm not into 500 series. That's okay, because part of number two is you really should get into 500 series if you're looking to start getting into high-end. If you're not, if you're just sort of like doing this for fun here and there or whatever, don't necessarily feel the need to get into it. But I'll put it this way, I really wish that I would have gotten into the 500 series game earlier because in the end, you do save money by doing it because essentially you're buying a rack that is a power supply. And by doing that, you save all of these other companies money from not having to build a power supply, not having to build a chassis. And I mean, the whole enclosure of a 500 series unit is, you know, an inch and a half by six inches or something for a single space and you know it's it's very small it's a lot less metal work they have a very tiny faceplate. i mean everything becomes cheaper and they have so many good units out there in 500 series now the api 512 has got to be just i mean one of the most popular mic preamps of all time and for a good reason the 500 series version is about 700 bucks and it just sounds good on everything. I mean, I'm a fan of BAE mic pre's. I'm a fan of a lot of different types of mic pre's. But if I could only choose one to work with for the rest of my life, it might be the API because it just sounds good on everything. Whereas the BAE, um, you know, I like it on most things. But some things, I actually prefer the API. 
but I wouldn't be afraid to use API on anything. It's rock solid, it's clear, it's full, it's wide open, um, but it still has that punchy punchy feel to it and, you know, just really hits you in the gut. Um, I mean, it's such an amazing preamp. The 512 version is just as good as any of the, you know, rack versions that they have out there. It's just as good as the 3124, maybe better. Um, You really can't go wrong with a 512. I do recommend getting into the 500 series game, even if you just start with the six space lunchbox or you get, you know, one of the smaller ones for three or five, three to 500 bucks. You can get a a lunchbox, which has six spaces, six or eight spaces, depending. And, um, you can, I mean, to me, the perfect ideal setup for your home studio guy is to get the eight space lunchbox and get two pre's two EQs, two compressors, and then maybe something else for fun, like a stereo bus compressor, uh, which a lot of those are, you know, two units, or maybe get a different compressor or like a delay or something. I mean, because in my opinion, if you have two solid channels um, of analog EQ, compression, and preamp, you can pretty much get done 90% of the duties that are out there. I mean, kick and snare. You got your pre, you got your EQ, got your compression, uh, vocal, bass, gu- acoustic guitar, electric guitar, you know, room mics, stereo piano. I mean, it really, really, <laughs> most things can be recorded with one or two channels. Every now and then it's useful to have a third, but most of the time, I'm only recording one or two channels at a time. When you start adding drums into the mix or sometimes piano, um, you know, piano can sometimes have like three or four depending on how many room mics you're using or if you're using any. Sometimes you don't need them, but sometimes you really do. Um, you know, the 500 series thing is great. I, I definitely think you should check it out if you haven't already. If you have and you don't have a 512, I mean, it's such an awesome preamp. Another preamp that was a close contender in this range is the Avitas MA5. It's another preamp that I just really, really like. Um, it's a really great preamp. I think it's about the same price, $700, $800. And it sounds good on everything. It really does. It's just really great companies making cool stuff. 500 Series is really taken off, and, and it's exciting. So give it a look. So the number one thing on this list... Um, and I've got a couple of extra sort of, you know, runners up that I'll list after this. But um, this one is, uh, again, sort of highly personal to me, but there's definitely other options in this. So I'll give you the other options in addition. To me, my number one studio essential, $1,000 or less, is a Charter Oak E700 condenser. Um, it is my favorite microphone that I own. That and probably that Michael Jolly I mentioned. Uh, they're very different. The Charter Oak is sort of like um, what I would call, you know, I, I joke with my engineer engineering buddies that it's the 414 of the gods because it's um it, it's like a 414 in that it's versatile. It's got, you know, variable pads. It's got different polar patterns. You know, it, it's it's very versatile, but it's one of those just like it always works. It just sounds good on everything. 
Um, and when it doesn't sound good, the Michael Jolly sounds good. That's pretty much how it works. Like the Charter Oak is really extended. Like it's got a beautiful, full low end, beautiful, clear, crystal clear top end. So when that's a little too bright and you need something warmer, the Michael Jolly is usually what I reach for. If I just sort of am going for my go-tos, the Charter Oak is about $800 or $900. Um, they're a little hard to find right now because Charter Oak has been switching their manufacturers um, they've been having, they were having problems with, uh, I never had problems with it, but some friends of mine had problems with their microphones. They're just having problems with QC and they wanted to find a, a better quality manufacturer that could be a little more consistent, um, which is great. Um, they are just, it's just such an awesome mic. Now, again, 414s also an amazing mic. So, I mean, that's up in that same price range. Uh, incredibly versatile. It's got variable high pass and variable patterns and variable pads. Um, you know, another microphone in this price range, um, the MicTech C7, uh, the Loughton Clarion or Clarion or Clarion, however you want to say it, uh, the Mojave MA301. These are all great microphones around this price. Uh, if you can find one used, the Bach 195 is also an amazing microphone. Um, it's not made anymore, I don't think, but you can find them used for eight or nine hundred bucks. Um, basically just a really beefy sounding full, versatile, large diaphragm condenser, solid state that has low noise and, you know, nice extended range. My favorite is definitely the Charter Oak. Out of all of those, it's still the Charter Oak. Um, I just love that microphone. And again, that's personal to me. You might hear it and hate it. Um, but it's an amazing microphone. It sounds unbelievable on piano. It sounds unbelievable on kick drum. It sounds unbelievable on electric guitar, on acoustic guitar. It's not my favorite, but it still sounds good. Um, great on vocals. Not every vocalist. Again, um, that's very personal to the vocalist. Amazing as a room mic. Amazing on strings. Amazing on horns. Uh, it's just, I mean, gosh, it, it may very well be the best piano mic I've ever heard. Um, at least in my career, you can check out this amazing sound pure demo. Uh, they demo two charter Oak E 700s on piano and it's just gorgeous. I mean, it sounds like a film score. Like you just spent two hours getting this perfect piano sound. I mean, it's amazing. Um, but really, if you've got a thousand bucks to spend on a microphone, go for one that's versatile. Don't, don't try to find, you know, some really specific kind of goofy, like, Oh yeah, they say this sounds amazing on strings or whatever. Like sounds great on vocals. Like find one that's versatile, like the Charter Oak E700 or the 414 or the Loughton Clarion or the Mojave MA300 or or the 301 actually, the 3 301 Fet uh, or the Bach 195 or the MicTech C7. Again, my choice is the Charter Oak or the Bach. Those are my top 2, probably followed by the 414 um they're just, you know, a workhorse condenser that can take anything from super quiet signals to really loud guitar amps. Just, it's an investment that is totally worthwhile that will last you your whole life. Okay, those were my top $10,000 or less. I have one bonus uh, in this because I couldn't quite decide. Um, well, technically I have two bonuses. One of them is sort of like, phony bonus because it only really applies if you're doing this, you know, recording drums regularly and can afford to justify this. But, um, if you, if you find yourself recording drums regularly, I highly recommend getting a Ludwig Black Beauty snare drum. Um, they're about seven or $800. Uh, 
but it is just, I mean, it's such a classic snare drum that has such an amazing sound. It records so well. It responds so well to different tunings. Um, my personal favorite is the hand hammered with tube lugs for whatever reason. Um, but this regular Black Beauty is just, I mean, such an amazing drum. The six and a half, that's the, that's the one to get for sure for modern stuff. Um, if you're a jazz player or you play with brushes a lot, you might try the five or you really like high tunings, you might try the five. But personally, the classic, ultimate classic snare drum, most recorded snare drum of all time is the Ludwig six and a half Black Beauty. And if not that, it's the Ludwig Superphonic. Um, which is again, six and a half inches by 14 inches, um, little bit different metal, but very similar sound. Superphonic is a little fatter and not as bright. Black Beauty's got a little more clarity and volume. Um, but both amazing snare drums, but that was kind of like the fake one. Like, okay, well, if you're not really in the market to buy an $800 snare drum, that that's kind of unfair. So the bonus for uh, top ten studio essentials, a thousand dollars or less, is the Fab Filter Pro Bundle. Um, it's seven hundred fifty dollars, which is an incredible discount from what it should be. Because you might remember, I told you that the uh, Pro Q two is like two hundred fifty bucks or like two hundred twenty dollars, something like that. I, I'm I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Well, this comes with the multiband compressor and the deesser and the com- you know the, the regular compressor and the gate and the eq and like all these plugins for 750 bucks and they are some of the best plugins out there today in the entire realm of plugins i mean you've heard good things about uad and those plugins are amazing so imagine that but i mean just lesser known <laughs> i mean the fab filter stuff is up there with all those top quality plugins i just i love their plugins to death i don't get anything for saying this i just i have been converted into a fab filter fanatic because i just think their stuff is amazing it, it's a professional's tool that works for professionals it's not emulating anything goofy i mean it just works it's just a professional's tool that works and works every time works so simple and seamlessly and works so well with your brain um you know it's just a great great product that they make all of their stuff is amazing so i hope you enjoyed this podcast this uh three-part series i originally was going to put it all in one but it ended up to be almost two hours long so i decided to split it up into three separate shows and I hope you've enjoyed this uh, this little podcast um, series of review of products. I don't talk a ton about products. I don't want to fluff up my show with a bunch of like product reviews, but um, I figured it was about time to share some of my uh, you know preferences for gear. Especially, I got some requests, like I said, for uh, for lower budget things. You know, what do you like on a budget for this, for this, for this? You know, and so I I tried to include some similar, you know, recurring things like a ribbon mic for this much or a condenser mic for this much or a good DI at this price or a good, you know, this, that, the other. Um, Just tried to include some of those things and uh, give you some thought, things to think about, some things to consider, maybe some different ways of looking at some pieces you were debating um, and maybe help some of these smaller companies that I tend to like a lot uh, get your business. So. I hope you've enjoyed this. If you have any questions whatsoever about anything, please feel free to email me at recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com. If you need to sign up for the mailing list to be a part of, uh, well, the mailing list, you can go to recordingloungepodcast.com slash sign up, one word, 
and uh, you sign up for free. And again, I promise I won't spam you. Um, anybody who's, uh, you know, anybody who's on the mailing list will know. I pretty much only send out, you know, when there's a new show or if I just, if something cool happens. <laughs> um, so... Uh, other than that, again, if you need freelance mixing or mastering, feel free to contact me. We can uh, work out negotiable rates and uh, to get your project mixed or mastered. And as always, thanks for uh, listening into the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm Kendall, signing off. <laughs>